I rejoiced in the Lord greatly that now at length you have revived your concern for me. You were indeed concerned for me, but you had no opportunity. Not that I am speaking of being in need, for I have learned in whatever situation I am to be content. I know how to be brought low, and I know how to abound. In any and every circumstance, I have learned the secret of facing plenty and hunger, abundance and need. I can do all things through Him who strengthens me. Let's pray. Father, You are good and gracious. You are holy and righteous. You are uh, transcendent and yet a God who is with us. You are high and lifted up and yet Christ humbled Himself to be one of us. Father, we confess this morning our, our great need. Lord, we confess our own uh, sin. We thank You for Christ. We thank You for the righteousness that we have in Christ. Lord, we confess our, our insufficiency, our inability. And we thank You that You make us sufficient. That Your strength is perfected in our weakness. Lord, we come before You this morning asking uh, that in Your grace You would help us. Help us to hear from Your Word, to receive Your Word in faith, to apply Your Word, to believe Your Word. Help us, Father. Help us uh, to rejoice in what is true and good. Help us to rejoice in the great salvation that we have in Christ. Help us to rejoice that we have You as our God. I pray that You do all these things for our good and for Your glory. In Christ's name we pray. Amen. Many of you have heard the story of J.D. Rockefeller. Uh, J.D. Rockefeller, if, if you don't know who he is, is probably one of the richest men in modern history. He had, uh, in today's money, he had over $400 billion. Uh, you can buy a lot of Taco Bell tacos with that much money. He was extremely wealthy. He was extremely rich. And one day, uh, a person uh, came up to him, I believe it was a reporter, and asked him, he asked J.D. Rockefeller, how much money is enough money? How much money is enough money? This man who had over $400 billion, how much money is enough money, J.D. Rockefeller? His his answer to that question is, is surprising and yet uh, very revealing. How much money is enough money? Rockefeller responded, just a little more. Just a little more. How much is enough? Just a little more. This man who is one of the richest men in history, and yet his riches were not enough. Just a little more. Though he was one of the richest men in history, he was still a discontent man. Do you struggle with discontentment? Do you have this nagging inside of you that, that, that says frequently, daily, just a little more? If only this thing were different. If only I had that thing. If only this person would be this way. If only this thing would go away. Then it would be enough. Just a little more. How can we be content? Is the answer just a little more? Or is the answer something completely different? How can we be content? Let's reread our passage. Paul writes, I rejoiced in the Lord greatly 
that now at length you have revived your concern for me. You were indeed concerned for me, but you had no opportunity. So Paul is writing to the church in Philippi, and and he's rejoicing that uh, the Philippian church is concerned for him, concerned for for his needs, and yet they they had no opportunity to, to help him out, to act on their concern. Verse 11, Not that I am speaking of being in need, for I have learned in whatever situation I am to be content. I know how to be brought low, and I know how to abound. In any and every circumstance, I have learned the secret of facing plenty and hunger, abundance and need. I can do all things through Him who strengthens me. That's a verse that gets thrown around a lot, isn't it? I can uh, uh, play this football game and win because I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. That's not the context, okay? Paul's not talking about football. Uh, He's not talking about uh, games. He's talking about contentment here. I can do all things. I can be content in any situation. How? Through Him who strengthens me. Paul had learned how to be content. If you think about it, that's quite a statement coming from someone like Paul. Paul was oft times in danger. He would go without food. He was shipwrecked, imprisoned. He endured beatings. He endured uh, mocking. And yet, amid all of these trials, Paul had learned to be content. Well, what is contentment? Usually helps to define your words before you start throwing them around, huh? What is contentment? Well, I I think the the Puritan Jeremiah Burroughs gives a very helpful definition. He writes, Christian contentment, notice he says Christian contentment, is that sweet, inward, quiet, gracious frame of spirit which freely submits to and delights in God's wise and fatherly disposal in every condition. It's this inward, uh, a sweet, quiet uh, disposition that, that is, is submissive to whatever God decides. It's not uh, rowdy. It's not uh, stirred up. It's not um, uh, fearful. It's, it's quiet. It's sweet. It, uh, Christian contentment rests in the wise and fatherly will of God in all situations. And this sort of contentment can even uh, uh, pursue life, can uh, uh, pursue decisions, and yet at the same time with an open hand, right? Because we rest in Him. And so if this thing that I pursue doesn't work out, it's okay, right? Holds things with an open hand, resting in God. Well, what is contentment not? What is contentment not? Contentment is not the absence of desire. You can desire things. Christ desired things. Contentment is not an absence of emotions, such as sadness or grief or longing. We we tend to equate contentment as no sadness, right? But we can be sad and content, right? Right? Christ experienced emotions. He was sad. He was joyful. You know, and yet at the same time, we know that He was never discontent with His Father's will. It's not the absence of emotion. Contentment is not general apathy. Some people are just apathetic. right? They don't care about anything. don't care about anyone. It's not contentment. It's apathy. Contentment is also not satisfied with sin. Christian contentment is not satisfied with sin. We should not be content with evil, right? God is not content with evil. 
Furthermore, Christian contentment is not something that we accomplish. It is ultimately God's work in the Christian. Right? You can't muscle yourself into being content. I'm just going to try real hard to be content today. I'm going to do it. Right? It's something that God works in us. Well, why should we desire contentment? Well, first of all, contentment is, is commanded of us. We're to do all things without grumbling or disputing. And so to not be content with God, to grumble against what's going on, to complain, is actually, is actually sinful. We see that in the wilderness, right? With, with Israel in the wilderness. God is graciously providing for them. And what do they do? They grumble and complain at every turn. And did God react towards that grumbling and complaining? Did God act as they grumbled and complained? Did he just wink at it? No, he, he, he judged them for it, right? It, it's sinful. He, it's a serious thing. It's a sin against God to grumble and complain, to be discontent with God's hand in things. We should also desire contentment because discontentment is a sin that often leads to other sins. Discontentment is a sin that often leads to other sins, right? I'm not content with this current situation. I want it to change, and it's not changing. And so we can often be tempted to sin to make that change. Right? Can, discontentment can lead to bitterness or uh, gossip or um, uh, grumbling, more grumbling or complaining. It can cause us uh, to sin in a way to get what we want because we must have that thing. Right? It's a sin that, that often leads to other sin. Jealousy, envy, strife. So it's something we want uh, to take seriously. We want to desire contentment. And last of all, most of all, we should desire contentment because it glorifies God. God is glorified when we freely submit to, when we delight in what He has decided. God is glorified. We're, when we're content, we're basically saying, God, you're good. You're doing the right thing. You know what you're doing. When we're discontent, essentially we're saying, God, you're wrong. You haven't been gracious. You haven't been good. And so we want to desire contentment. Paul had learned contentment. Well, how was he able to be content? Again, Paul writes, I can do all things through him who strengthens me. God is the one who enabled Paul to be content in whatever circumstance he was in. And I think, I think contentment is something we all desire. Right? No one likes to be discontent. I don't think so, right? We, we enjoy contentment. But it's ultimately God who teaches that contentment. And that leads uh, to, to the rest of our time today, the topic for today. What is it that the contented person has learned from God? What is it that the contented person has learned from God? There are many things that we learn in the school of contentment. Uh, today we're going to look at just four things that God teaches the Christian in the school of contentment. We're going to see that the person growing in contentment is being taught, first of all, the character of God. The character of God. Second of all, the person growing in contentment is being taught the desirability of God's will. The desirability of God's will. Third of all, the person growing in contentment is being taught that God is the source of all blessing. And lastly, we'll see today that the person growing in contentment is being taught what they deserve and what they have been given instead. So with this in mind, as we dive into this, the, the, the area, the school of contentment, First of all, we see that God, uh, in the school of contentment, teaches the Christian more and more about His character. Namely, God teaches us that He is sovereign, good, and wise. 
At the heart of discontentment is a lie. When I am discontent with the, the circumstances God has placed me in, I'm either believing, likely, one, that God is not really sovereign over what is happening, or two, that God is not really good in what's happening, or three, that God isn't really wise in what's happening. He doesn't really know what He's doing. I, I know the better way to do the thing. The good news is that these lies are lies. Right? They aren't true. It isn't reality. God actually is sovereign, good, and wise. All that happens in my life, God is sovereign over. He has planned it for me. Ephesians 1.11, Paul writes, In Him, in Christ, we have obtained an inheritance, having been predestined according to the purpose of uh, Him, who works all things according to the counsel of His will. All things are happening to the counsel of God's will. Praise God. Every hardship you face, every sin committed against you, every lack, every gain, every health problem, every uh, child temper tantrum you have to endure, every hair on your head or every uh, lack of hair on your head, All is ordained by the sovereign, fatherly hand of God. Rest in this. May we learn contentment in this. Furthermore, he's not just sovereign, right? You could have a king who is an awful king, an evil king, and you probably, that wouldn't be something to rejoice about, right? But God is a good sovereign. He is a good king. He is a good father. God, the perfect father, always does what is good for his children. He's not just sovereign. He's a good sovereign. David, in Psalm 31, verse 19, proclaims, Oh, how abundant is your goodness! which you have stored up for those who fear you and worked for those who take refuge in you. God has stored up and is working good for those who have taken refuge in Him, the Christian. He's stored it up. And He's working it out for the Christian. Even the evil that happens, God has ordained for good purposes. Romans 8.28, a life verse for many of us. And we know that for those who love God, all things work together for good. Not some things. Not just the things that are good in themselves. All things work together for good for those who are called according to His purpose. For those who... He foreknew, He also predestined to be conformed to the image of His Son. God is truly working all things together for the Christian's good. And that ultimate good, we read Romans there, is that He's conforming us into the image of Christ. Isn't that what you desire, Christian? Isn't that the best thing to look more like our Savior? To be able to enjoy a more rich fellowship with God as we look more and more like Him? All things are working toward that good. We may not know, many times we don't know, how every circumstance works ultimately for good. It's confusing. Why, why did this thing happen? The questions come up, why God? We don't see it. We don't understand it. But we know because God has told us in His Word that all things God has purposed for the Christian's good. That's good news. This good is not just for my sake, right? It's, 
is for the good of the entire body of Christ. There's a, a purpose to it. There's a plan in it. And it's good. It's not wasted. It's not arbitrary. Everything that has happened in your life, Christian, has, uh, uh, has a good purpose to it. Everything that will happen in your life, Christian, has a good purpose to it. I can't tell you specifically, but I know the end is that God is conforming you into the image of Christ through it. And that is good. That is what we need. Not only is God sovereign and good, but He's wise. He knows better than me. He knows better than you. Speaking of God's ordained judgment of Jerusalem, Isaiah writes, this also, this judgment, also comes from the Lord of hosts. He is wonderful in counsel and excellent in wisdom. It's Isaiah 28, 29. Why, why was judgment coming to Jerusalem? Now keep in mind, this judgment would take the form of evil men doing evil things in Jerusalem. Why was that happening? Because God is wonderful in counsel and excellent in wisdom. God knows what He is doing. Is this what Jerusalem would have chosen for herself? No. Was God wise in sending judgment upon them? Yes. I mean, consider this. Uh, if you were to give a child two choices for dinner, you can, can have this dinner for the rest of your life, child. This will be your dinner forever, as long as you live. And you can either have a bowl of ice cream with all of the top... That got some attention over here. <laughs> ice cream. Yeah, a bowl of ice cream with all the toppings that you want. Sprinkles, hot fudge. My wife would just, it'd be more hot fudge than ice cream. You know, the whole nine yards, whatever you want. Um, Butterfinger crumbles in there. I'm getting a little hungry here. There's a bake sale after church. You can either have that bowl of ice cream for the rest of your life for dinner, or you can have a steak dinner. Okay? Now, there's some children that are wise and would choose the steak dinner because they, they know a thing or two about steak, and that's good. But many children would probably choose the ice cream. Right? Because ice cream's delicious. Now, the father comes along of this child, and the child is, you know, I'm going to eat ice cream for the rest of my life because it's delicious and wonderful and good, and I get all the toppings that I want. And... And a father comes along, and what would a good father, a wise father, say to that child? No. <laughs> no, you're not having ice cream for the rest of your life. You're going to have steak, and you're going to share some with me. Okay? <laughs> the father knows better than the child. The father is more wise than the child. To the child, maybe that seems like the father's withholding something good from them. But the father knows better than the child. The father knows that a diet of ice cream would be harmful for the child. The child needs the nutrition of that steak. The father knows what his child needs more than the child knows. Our Heavenly Father often does things that don't seem good to us. But He's wiser than us. He knows better than us. And He loves His children enough to do what is best for us, even if we don't like it, and even if we don't understand, like any good father would do. What are the things in your life that you wouldn't choose? What are the things in your life that, that may be bad in and of themselves? 
God has ordained those things in His sovereign, good, and wise counsel. They aren't purposeless. They aren't for nothing. God has planned and purposed these things for your good, Christian. What are the things in your life that you wish you had, but don't? What good things are lacking in your life? The reason you don't have these things at this time is because God is sovereign, good, and wise, Christian. Now, does this mean we can't pursue change? No. But it does mean we can be content even if things don't change. Because God is sovereign, good, and wise. What a, what a, a solid foundation to life that we so often ignore. What a, an elixir of peace that we so often neglect. That God is sovereign, good, and wise. If we would only believe these things, right? We can know these things, but if we would only believe these things, we would be content. Lord, help us to believe these things. Help us to believe that You are sovereign, good, and wise. May our feelings be taught by the reality of Your character, God. Help us to glorify and praise You amid situations we wouldn't choose for ourselves because we know who You are. Help us, Lord, to not deny Your sovereign goodness and wisdom with our complaining and grumbling. Help us to be content knowing You that You are sovereign, good, and wise. Not only does the Christian uh, growing in contentment rest in who God is, the Christian growing in contentment also has a growing desire for God's will to be done above all else. For God's will to be done above all else. I mean, think about this. A contented heart desires what it already has and has what it already desires. Uh, seems like I'm doing some linguistic kung fu there. Follow with me. <laughs> A contented heart desires what it already has, and it has what it already desires. So for instance, let's say that my only desire in this life would be to have a, a plaid blue shirt. Okay? Well, I have a plaid blue shirt, and so I'm content because I have what I desire. I have it all. This wonderful plaid blue shirt that I got from a thrift store. Okay? It's magnificent. The contented heart desires what it already has and has what it already desires. A heart will never remain contented when it seeks contentment in trying to get what it doesn't have. A little bit more will never do it. Because there's always a little bit more. Right? If only I had a second blue, plaid, uh, blue plaid shirt. Just a little bit more. And then I get another blue plaid shirt. Well, if only I had a third blue plaid shirt. Right? A little bit more never uh, brings about a contented heart. I think we've all experienced this, right? Christmas morning is the epitome of this uh, happening. You make your Christmas list and... Um, you wake up Christmas morning and there's all the presents and you unwrap it and you get the thing. You know, the whole time you're just, uh, the months leading up to Christmas, you're just thinking, if only I had a Nintendo 64. That's how old I am, whether very young or old in this audience. And you wake up and you get the thing and it's, oh, you know, there's excitement and, and yes, I got the thing. And then what happens a week later? Well, if only I had... 
I can't wait till next Christmas. Right? It, it never actually works. It's, it's a fool's game. A little bit more doesn't bring about a contented heart. A heart will never remain contented when it seeks contentment in trying to get what it doesn't have. Well, then the question comes up, how is it, how is it that our desires can always be equal with what we have? How is it that our desires can always be equal with what we have? So let's say, again, my desire is this blue plaid shirt. Is this blue plaid shirt going to survive forever? No, especially the way I wear clothing. It just evap- it doesn't evaporate, don't worry. It disintegrates slowly. And so if my contentment's dependent on this thing, at some point, I'm going to be discontent. Right? So how is it that our desires can be equal always with what we have? Listen, our desires can be equal to what we have when we desire God's will to be done above all else. We can always have our desires equal to what we have if our greatest desire in life is that God's will will be done. Why is that? Well, as we saw in Ephesians, God's will is always done. He's working all things according to the counsel of His will. And so the contented heart desires what it already has. God's will being done. If my greatest desire is that God's will be done, I will always have my greatest desire. And I will be content. I think this is uh, best illustrated in the life of Christ. He's, he's in the Garden of Gethsemane. The cross is before Him. right? And, and He has a desire. He asks, the Father, if there's any way, let, let this cup pass from me. He doesn't want to drink the cup of God's wrath. That's an understandable desire. Right? That's something we should desire. And yet, Christ has a greater desire than that. Right? He has a great, greater desire than that. He says, nevertheless, not my will, but your will be done. He desires God's the Father's will be done more than He desires that He wouldn't have to face the wrath of God for our sin. And so there's no grumbling or complaining in Christ. He's content with the Father's will. Even if it means bearing our sin upon that cross. Because he desires the Father's will above all else. Discontentment arises when I desire my will to be done more than God's will to be done. This is the case with all of us. Contentment grows as I grow and you grow and our desire that God's will be done, even if it means mine isn't. And so, let's say tomorrow something horrific happens. A loved one has a serious disease. I can be sorrowful, as Christ was in the garden. I can desire that they be healed. I can urge and plead with God that they would be healed. All the more, all the while, desiring more that God's will be done. And so whatever happens, whether they are healed or not, I can be contented because what I desired above all else God's will has been done. I can be sorrowful, right? Again, we're, we can have, contentment is, no, is not no feelings. You can be sorrowful, sorrowful and yet still be content. Still be at peace, uh, resting, knowing that God's sovereign, gracious, and wise will is being done. We have what we ultimately desire.
So far, we've seen that God teaches the Christian contentment as we believe more and more in God's character and as we grow in our desire for God's will above all else. Thirdly, God teaches the Christian contentment as we understand more and more that God is the source of all blessing. Again, we grow in contentment as we understand more and more that God is the source of all blessing. When I was a kid, uh, my family used to go to this restaurant called Sweet Tomatoes. I have very fond memories of Sweet Tomatoes. It's It's a salad buffet, which you wouldn't think a child would be interested in. But, you know, you find, I just would put a bunch of sunflower seeds on my salad and pepperoncinis and olives. I'd have more toppings than salad. But that wasn't the best part. There was also a, you could get unlimited pizza. You know, have you been to Sweet Tomatoes? Oh, okay. You're getting excited about it. (laughs) And you can just grab it. And they have soup and, but the highlight for me as a kid was they had this self-serve, um, so, uh, soft-serve ice cream maker. That was self-serve. And, and they had a topping bar, and you could just do whatever you wanted. You didn't have to talk to someone. You could just go for it. And they had vanilla and chocolate and the uh, swirl. Right? It was all for free. It was included in the price of your admission to the theme park of Sweet Tomatoes. And uh, so imagine me. As a seven-year-old boy, I no longer have facial hair. And I'm making my cone. I put, I put sprinkles in the cone first. And then I put ice, vanilla ice cream up. And then I put peanut toppings on top. And so I have my ice cream cone. I'm so excited. And I'm walking over back to the table. And uh, I'm clumsy now. And I was also clumsy as a kid. And so I trip. And I fall. And the ice cream cone, you know, slow motion flying through the air until splat, right? And seven-year-old me is looking at this, taking it all in. I've had a great loss here, okay? And and I I start to cry and to freak out, and I've lost the ice cream cone, and, and what would my parents probably tell me? Stephen, you got the source. Just go back and make another one. Right? You have the source of the ice cream. Why are you so downcast that you've lost your cone? You have the source. Right? In this world, God communicates, God delivers, as it were, His goodness, His blessing, often through things. We enjoy His creation. Uh, We enjoy an ice cream cone. We enjoy health, uh, loved ones, friends. We enjoy these things. God blesses us through these things. Ultimately, what is the source of the enjoyment of these things? Romans 11.36, For from Him, from God, and through God, and to God are all things. To Him be glory forever. Amen. God is the source. Where does our enjoyment come from? Where does blessing come from? It comes from God, through God, and to God. God is the source of all goodness, all enjoyment, all fulfillment. The things themselves are not the source. God is the source. Of all that we desire, it's found in Him. These things, the ice cream cone, or friends, or or family, or creation, they're simply a means that God uses to communicate, to deliver His goodness, to deliver enjoyment, to deliver fulfillment. But He is the source of it. For the Christian, we have the source. We have a relationship with the fount of all blessings. And so, if our health diminishes, if we lose a job, if things don't work out in life the way that we hoped they would, 
If we drop our ice cream cone, what do we still have? We have the source. We have the source of all goodness, of all enjoyment, of all fulfillment. We have God Himself and we have Him because of what Christ has done for us. We have the source. A stream may be blocked up, but if I have the source of water, need I be discontent? Christian, you have the source. You have God through the accomplished work of Christ. What more do we need? What do we need to fear losing? We have God. We are united to God through faith in Christ. We have the source. And so, even if we don't have anything in this life, even if we don't have wealth or health or friendships or family or food or comfort or the applause of men, we have the fount of all blessing. This is reality. This is true. God, help us. Help us to be content and even joyful knowing that we have You, even in the face of loss and want. The contented heart not only considers who God is, desires God's will, and looks to Him as the source of all blessing. Lastly, the contented heart, contented person, also understands what they deserve and what God has given them instead. Understands what they deserve and what God has given them instead. I found in my own life, I'm sure in yours as well, that oftentimes at the heart of discontentment is the belief that we deserve something else. Something better. It's a belief that something isn't fair, perhaps. Why, why do they get X, Y, and Z? And I don't. Right? A, a child will be content with one candy until they see a friend with two candies. We think we deserve something more, something better. But what is it that we deserve in this life? What would be fair? Our culture believes we deserve everything good from everyone. Our culture believes that people owe us, and even God owes us, everything we want. But what do we truly deserve in this life? What are we owed? What would be fair? Romans 6.23 For the wages of sin is death. But the gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord. What do we truly deserve? What are we owed? What would be fair? What is it that you and I have worked harder to earn in this life more than any other thing? Death. Eternal death. The wrath of a good and just God poured out upon us for our, our evil, for our sin. That is the only thing we truly deserve. This is the only thing we are truly owed. Eternal punishment. Anything other than this, for the believer and the unbeliever alike, is the grace of God. It's a gift. Giving us what we don't deserve. That we should be able to enjoy the taste of food. 
that we should enjoy friendships and family, that I have this plaid blue shirt, that we have the ability to sleep, that we have the ability to, to, to place our sin tainted feet on God's good creation for even a second is the magnificent grace of God giving us what we don't deserve. And, th- and that's just God's common grace to everyone, right, in this life. What about the special grace that God has shown the Christian? Instead of giving us eternal death, what has God given us? Eternal life. Instead of giving us His infinite just wrath, what has He given us? His infinite gracious love. And how was this grace purchased for us? Through the life and the death of Jesus Christ, God in the flesh, that Christ obeyed perfectly where I have disobeyed. That Christ was perfectly content with God the Father's will where I have been discontent time and time again. That the Son of God perfectly desires the Father's will to be done even if it meant His death on the cross and the wrath of God for my sin to be poured out on Him. That's how this was purchased for us. The Christian can enjoy the infinite blessing and favor of God upon their life because Christ paid for our sin and gave us His righteousness. And so, if in God's infinite, uh, good, wise plan for my life, if that includes much loss, sorrow, want, and suffering, does it ever displace His infinite grace towards me? Are the scales ever tipped the other way? What, the grace that God has given me and the trials of this life, are the trials of this life ever heavier than God's grace that He's shown toward me? No. In fact, even amid great loss, sorrow, want, suffering, we can have hope that the God who has been infinitely gracious towards us has ordained those things for our Good. Graciously ordain those things. Discontentment often come about when I think I deserve something that I don't. And I forget the grace that God has shown me in Christ Jesus. But if I remember, if, if we remember what we truly deserve in this life, And we let that sink in for a moment. Eternal punishment. And then we consider what God has given us instead. Eternal life. He's given us Himself. He is our God. We have the source. If we think about that, How could we be discontent if we truly understand and believe these things? What I deserve and what God has given me instead. And so we set our mind on those things. We remember those things. In conclusion, Paul learned contentment with God as his teacher. Christian. Let us pursue learning this contentment through the strength of Christ. Let us pursue contentment knowing that a contented heart praises God. A contented heart says, God, You are sovereign. You are good. You are wise. A contented heart proclaims to God that I desire You and Your will to be done above all else. A contented heart rejoices that it has God as His God the source of all beauty and and enjoyment and fulfillment, we have the source. A contented heart understands that God has been infinitely gracious to us in Christ Jesus. That He hasn't given us what we are owed, and instead He has given us what Christ has earned. We have every reason to be content. 
Lord, help us to be content. Help us to praise you with a contented heart. Teach us contentment through these truths that we might better glorify your good and gracious name. Today, we have the opportunity to taste this infinite grace that we've talked about today. We have an opportunity to taste and see the grace that God has shown us in Christ Jesus. Uh, those who are serving communion, would you come up, please? As we come to the Lord's table, as we uh, take of the body and the blood of Christ, as we take of the bread and the cup, let us remember the price that was paid to purchase us. Let us remember that we have such favor in Christ. Let us remember that we have God as our God because of the body and blood of Christ. Let us uh, commune with the source of all blessing together as the body of Christ. And so as we come uh, to this, I uh, just want to make clear that this uh, communion, the Lord's Supper, is only for believers. This is only for those who put their faith in Christ. If, if you haven't done so, do it. Today is the day of salvation. Talk to one of us. And as uh, believers, as we take communion, we consider our sin and we quickly turn our eyes to Christ to think about our need for Him, the work that He has done for us, what we have in Him, and we taste it, we enjoy it. And so, um, first, we'll come to the bread. First Corinthians chapter 11, verse 23 reads, I received from the Lord what I also delivered to you, that the Lord Jesus, on the night when he was betrayed, took bread, and when he had given thanks, he broke it and said, This is my body, which is for you. Men, would you please uh, distribute the bread? As you eat this bread, remember the body of Christ. Remember your union with Christ. Jesus said, This is my body, which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me.
Father, we thank You for the body of Christ that You have given us Your Son that, that though our sin was so awful that, that it necessitated the death of the eternal Son of God, we thank You, Father, that the Son willingly died for us, that He gave His body for us, that His body was broken for us. We thank You that He paid the price for our sin, that it is finished, that we have no more sin in our account because of the work of Christ. Help us to be thankful. Help us to be content with the body of Christ. And in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Next we come to the cup. Paul writes in 1 Corinthians, In the same way also he took the cup after supper, saying, This cup is the new covenant in my blood. Then if you would distribute the cup, please. Jesus said, Do this as often as you drink it in remembrance of me. Father, we thank you for this uh, sweet drink that reminds us of the sweetness of our sins being washed away by the blood of Christ. Lord, thank You for the blood of Christ. We have no hope but in the blood of Christ. We thank You that though our sins were as scarlet, they are now washed white as snow by the blood of Christ. Lord, help us to be content with the blood of Christ. Help us 
that no matter what happens in this life, that we would be content and thankful and praise you for the blood of Christ that purchased sinners such as us and has transformed us into sons and daughters of you. We thank you, Father. We pray, Father, that as we go out today, that even in sorrow and even in pain and suffering, that we would be content knowing that we have you in Christ Jesus, knowing who you are and what you've done for a stubborn people such as us. Thank you, Lord. And in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. This is the time of the month that we ordinarily take a benevolence giving. So if you would like to give to that, you can uh, do so in the box. Um, Also remember that there is a bake sale out in the fellowship hall. And I will be making coffee of some variety or sort. Um, So I invite you to come over there and uh, participate with that. Philippians 4.19, verse uh, 4.19 through 20 reads, My God will supply every need of yours according to His riches and glory in Christ Jesus. To our God and Father be glory forever and ever. Amen. You are dismissed. If you'd like to be with a prayer couple, they'll be up front. Thank you.